Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and this is brought to you by The Athletic UK. Hope you're having a good week. And in this week's podcast, we're going to be looking ahead to Monday night's game up at the King Power Stadium to face Leicester City. Brendan Rodgers' side might have got a bit of a beating on Sunday, but it's going to be an almighty test for Fulham to get three points at the KP. And joining me on this podcast to look ahead to that game. And also, we're going to be chatting about penalties with Robin Jackson, uh, Senior Lecturer in Sports Psychology at Loughborough University. That's going to be happening in part two. But before we get to that, uh, let's introduce Peter Rutzler, Chief Fulham Writer for The Athletic. How are you doing? Chief Fulham Writer, I quite like that. Yes, a really good thanks, Sammy. How are you? <laughs> are, you not, are you not Chief Fulham Writer? Supreme Fulham Writer. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I guess I am the Chief Fulham Writer. There, is, there isn't another one. So I'll take Chief. I might add that to my, to my job title. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I've given it to you now, so it's official. And um, Chief Fulham expert, uh, Jack Collins, how you doing? Hi, I just Chief would have done, I think, whatever you just put, all right, Chief. Um, No, I'm good, how are you? Chief Fulham poet. Yeah, I'll have that, I'll have that. Okay, well, before we get into the pod, um, just to say that uh, The Athletic are celebrating Black Friday and giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for their best ever price. It's just £1 a month for 12 months and you can cancel at any time so you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including all of the Fulhamish podcasts advert free. Uh, They'll bring you unrivaled coverage of Fulham for an unbeatable price and they won't be running a better deal anytime soon. The offer runs from Black Friday for just one week up until the the 4th of December so do not miss out £1 a month for 12 months and of course you get all of Peter's brilliant articles for £1 I mean Peter it's it's stunning value all the articles that we discuss every week for, for a coin basically one coin a month well I'm definitely going to say that it's definitely worthwhile you get access to the chief Fulham writer for £1 a month not just the <laughs> the bog standard Fulham writer the chief Fulham writer so um, yeah do get that now you can get the deal by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod that's theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod pay just £1 a month for 12 months and the offer is for new subscribers only okay let's get into the pod then and look at the Everton game Peter it'd be just interesting to get your reaction um, now the dust has settled a little bit more it wasn't entertaining game for the neutral i think um the millions that would have tuned in on the bbc probably got their money's worth for from from our perspective from a fulham perspective it was some positives but also quite a few ugly negatives rearing rearing their heads again yeah i think that's kind of similar to a lot of the reactions to to most games this season isn't it this there were a few positives to take but uh, you come out of it with with no points um yeah, it was a game of two halves. I, I, Scott Park came out and said it was like chalk and cheese. And, you know, it, it really was that. I think the, the first half Everton were cut above. Um, Fulham never really imprinted themselves properly on the game. I was actually, to be fair, in, in the first period, there's some really nice passages of play, as, as we've seen. When it does come together for Fulham with their build-up play, it's lovely to watch. You know, Tom Kearney drifting in, in, in between the spaces, linking play. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. But the problem is that... <laughs> You know, there were, ta- I think there were there were a couple of elements to it. I mean, Scott Parker spoke about application, and you know, that was sort of borne out in, in the statistics. And you kind of saw the way Everton imposed themselves on on Fulham for long, long spells. Um, the quality on show, especially Hammers, uh, who had a lot of space. 
I think there was a tactical side to it too. I think Fulham weren't expecting that that back five uh, from Everton with with Awobi and, and Dina on the wings. Um, I mean, they they caused so many problems, and and all three of Everton's goals came from that left hand side. But you know, it's it's the same sort of thing. You know, when you start as slowly as they did, that that early goal, it just is such a such a hammer blow, really, and and it just put Fulham on the back foot. And then obviously, second half is a different story, isn't it? Um, front foot uh, really took the game to to Everton and probably should have taken a point in the end, which is, you know, disappointing that they didn't. It's one of those really hard ones, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're absolutely spot on there with the five at the back thing, Peter. And and I think we none of us were expecting that. We was expecting Awobi to be in midfield, you know, if anything, or or out on the wing. And and ultimately, it's it's kind of taken us aback and taken us by surprise. And you look at how the goals come and it's hard to, it's hard to stomach that a little bit. And and it's one thing, you know, being taken aback at the outset by a system. It's another thing to let that system run rampant for the entire first half. And, and, and that in itself is a worry because, you know, you can see these things and you, you look to try and address them right in game. It doesn't take a halftime team talk to or it shouldn't take a halftime team talk to address a tactical maneuver on the pitch. And and Ancelotti had Parker's number first half, I think. And, you know, there's there's, you know, some some blame has to be has to lie at every door yes we were poor i thought there was you know and the the enough the analysis at, at half time in the game that when fulham are under pressure and conceding early in games and you said it peter on a tweet that you know the dreaded 15 minutes was nearly up you know in the first half but it was it was one of those things where when you do have that kind of hanging over you a little bit don't put yourselves in immediate danger and look I'm not a proponent of lumping the ball long especially when you don't have Mitrovic to hold it up but playing you know cross field balls in the air across your across your back your box 30 seconds into a game that put you under immediate pressure it doesn't seem like you know the way to go forward for Fulham and and look Tosin Adrabio is young and he's learning and there's there's lots of elements to this but we, we did make a rod for our own back in many ways and it wasn't till the second half that we seemed to really address those issues and it, it did put us in a position where we were fighting you know we're fighting against ourselves as much as anything we put ourselves in a terrible position and then trying to get back from it now peter uh, kind of breaking news really as we record this but certainly something i think that we should talk about um is that uh, the government in england has kind of announced its policy for when lockdown ends on December. December the 2nd and um, England is being divided up into tiers um, so tier 1 being kind of like the lowest risk um, category up to tier 3 and it looks like from what we can see and this is stuff has literally been breaking around us in the last 15 minutes that um, London is to be placed in tier 2 and on Monday it was announced that um, fans will be allowed back into stadia in the UK. If you are either in tier one or tier two, if you're in tier one, it's 4,000. If you're in tier two, it's 2000, um, allowed into games. Now for Fulham, um, looks like it'll be 2000 let in at Craven cottage. We may be wrong on this. We don't have this officially from the club, but certainly that's as far as the government will allow. Um, so potentially the game against Liverpool uh, later on in December, um, we could be seeing fans back at Craven Cottage, which is um, exciting to say the least. It's been a long eight months since that that day at Bristol City where uh, we, we stood on the terraces and watched Fulham live in the flesh for the last ever time. Yeah, really exciting. And also the first time for me covering the club that I have fans in the ground. So very strange to cover the club for a couple of months and, and not had that. So that's quite quite good news if that's all comes true. And um, the thing for Fulham is the number of fans they'd get in. I think as long as London wasn't in tier three, 
which it looks like they won't it won't be now um then Fulham would have some fans in but they wouldn't be able to get to the capacities that were outlined by by the government you know that's the the message we've had from that's my understanding of it um several different reasons one being access and logistics fundamentally because most access is through Stevenage Road um obviously redeveloping Riverside stand the Johnny Haynes stand is taken up at the moment mainly by press and broadcasters and and other important people um so fans would only really be able to use the the Putney end and the Hammersmith ends um of which you know the the Putney end is also used sometimes for broadcast interviews as well so there's a lot of limit on space then there's also the tight concourses as well so I think when we're actually looking at the realistic side of the numbers that Fulham will, will actually be able to to implement it won't be I don't think they'll be able to get to 2000. It's, it'll be between that 1,000 to 1,500. Those numbers need to be confirmed and, and ratified. They'll be talking to the safety advisory groups because they have to consider the timing of fans. It's pretty unlikely, I think, that supporters will all be able to arrive at the same time. It may need to be staggered. Um, so it's good news. Um, it's good news. It's that first sort of step. And 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 hopefully, hopefully we'll see some Fulham fans in, in the crowd for... For the home game against Liverpool, I, regarding tickets, you know, it's, we've talked about it in the, the supporters' trust uh, minutes from their meetings. Um, I think it's, it's still as it as it was in that sense that it will probably be a ballot, and um, based on I think season ticket holders in 2019-20 will get that priority. Um, but again, that'll probably be finesse depending on the numbers and once it's all sort of confirmed. But as you say, we've just literally happened, so uh, we'll look into it. But looking forward to seeing Fulham faces in uh, in in the stands and on that jack um from a fan's point of view there has been a bit of controversy now uh, we're all we're kind of discussing plans that haven't been fully finalized yet so i think we have to state that but if it is to go to a ballot to 1920 season ticket holders there's certainly a, a sizable amount of fulham fans that We'll be pretty miffed that there's no basis on loyalty points here. Fulham have had a loyalty point system in place for well over 10 years now, it, it feels like. And there's a, there's, I think there's a very comprehensive argument that this is surely the point where you would lo- use loyalty points and someone that had a season ticket for one year last year has the same amount of rights as a Fulham fan that has been to every game for 40 years. It feels like there's a balance that needs to be found. And it also should add, I know the the Fulham Supporters Trust have been working on this and discussing with the club. Nothing's finalised, but there probably needs to be a balance found here, doesn't there, Jack? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like, let's not beat around the bush at this at all. Like, this should be done on loyalty points to it. I mean, I'm... I, I I kind of think to to a hundred percent, to be honest. You know, there there's gonna there'll always be backlash to that, but I think this should be done a hundred percent towards loyalty points. And obviously there is a level of that. You can't just give the two thousand people at the top of that chain access to every game because that's not, you know, quite what this is supposed to be either. But I do think they should be given priority access to the first games and there should be a waiting here that that looks at how those are, are put in place because it's just, you know, the way it works. And and look, it's not perfect. There will be lots of people who have been going to Fulham, Fulham games for years and who have changed their season ticket over or, or stopped for a year and came back again and had to restart their loyalty points or, or all of these different elements come into play. So even that wouldn't be perfect and there's no way of doing it perfectly, but it would at least give precedence to the fans that have been there home and away week in, week out for years. And like you say, this has been a system that's not new. It's been going for, for a good 10 years now. And, and, and the fact that it doesn't seem to be in play straight away uh, baffles me, to be honest. And uh, I think it's 
something that the club need to look into urgently because there, there's no way that a ballot system on last year's season tickets is the fairest way to do this. And, you know, I say that as someone who has a, a cup, you know, a fair amount of loyalty points, but not, you know, loads. I, pro- I would not be in that top bracket, but that's not the point here. The point is that the people who are in that top bracket should be given precedence. Yeah, I mean, I also don't think that I would qualify anywhere near for the top 2,000 uh, seats on a, on a loyalty point basis either. But I find it hard to disagree with you, Jack, that, that there definitely needs to be a way of finding it, but also probably needs to be a smart way as well, because loyalty points, as you say, aren't the perfect system, but they seem like the best system we've got um, at, at the moment. But I know that the Fulham Supporters Trust are working on this and, and things are still in the air. So I think it's important to say that. Um, Peter, back to the game on on Sunday and uh, you did an article this morning about Fulham's risk taking uh, and you said it's yet to be rewarded um, and, and all about cutting out errors in the game and, and, and you highlighted some moments particularly in that first half where Fulham took risks and, and Jack talks about one of those of course which happened after 30 seconds which which led to the goal which was Adarabayo's crossfield kick um, to Tuaino which all kind of fell apart Richarlison took hold of it and, and Everton scored what was your kind of conclusion from this do you think that Fulham have to just take less risks or do we just have to be a little bit better with the risks that we take if you don't take any risks you don't really score very many goals we might as well become Newcastle so there's a there's a fine balance to this but it was an interesting article I thought that you put up this morning about it so it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it yeah I think it's 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 that Sammy just being smarter with it um it's just similar to what Jack said at at the start you know the there's almost a balance really between the fact that you're going to play this way and it, and it can work, but also there's always the risk. You know, you are taking risks and that's part of playing out when you play out from the back, when you play the possession style that that, that Fulham do. Um, I mean, it, what what's frustrating is you that Fulham will turn over the ball in high-risk areas and that does lead to quite dangerous situations. And it's it, what I found is it's quite difficult to actually, say, statistically quantify, but watching back over that game, West Ham and... and and West Brom as well, you do see those moments where it's almost an unnecessary risk is taken. You know, the you know you mentioned the, the first goal there, but there was there were other ones as well. I know Anthony Robinson mis, misplaced a pass on about ten minutes, which was the first one that sort of got a oh sort of like a almost a murmuring among among the press and and the other people and then Johnny Hayne stand. Um, there was another. I think Mario Lamina lost the ball around twenty minutes, just running into space in his own half and. Uh, there was another one on just just on half hour where Adarabayo and, and Joachim Anderson were were exchanging passes and Anderson's knocked it out for a corner. I, it, it's a difficult one because you're going to make mistakes and there's nothing wrong with those mistakes. But when you're playing, making those mistakes in those areas, you're opening yourself up to risk. Now, you know, as I touched on in the piece, it reminded me a bit of of Bournemouth last year, where when things start to go wrong and the results start to to turn. One of the first things, especially, I think this is something to, you know, it's cultural in English football. One of the first things you look at is, oh, look, they like to play out from the back. And uh, there was one game in particular uh, last year when when Bournemouth faced Watford, a massive, massive game. They really need to win. There was a lot of build up to it. Um, they got beaten three 0 in the end, and the first goal was just uh, was just a calamity. Really, it was a passing out from the back. It was an error from from Mark Travers, the keeper, who was put under pressure from a Simon Francis pass because it was, you know, it was an easier option to take and. It, they lost the ball and, and Decore ironically scored. Um, but there, there's two sides to that because the way Bournemouth have played for for five years and even before that in, in the Football League is is what's brought them so much success. 
And, you know, the flip side for Fulham is they're actually really good at playing out from the back and, and progressing the play in respect to, you know, other teams in the Premier League. Um, they're fourth for the least number of their possessions that end in the defensive third. So that means they are progressing the ball in general out of, out of their own half. Um, and they're sixth for most possessions that end in the attacking third. So they are moving the ball up the pitch. They are moving it into dangerous positions. But then there's the flip side, you know, the, the fact that they are taking some unnecessary risks. And, you know, it's, it's hard to come out with and just say, because I'm, I'm like Jack at the start. I don't believe that switching to, oh, they should just be more pragmatic and they should just lump it long. I think there's a, there's a, there is a time and a place for that. But I, I, it's, it's finding that right balance. And what's happening at the moment is that Fulham haven't quite got that balance. It's, it's kind of what I'm saying. And I think that's, that's the important thing is that they, they do reduce those risks and do reju- reduce those opportunities that aren't you know, necessary. That, that these moments that are avoidable. Um, I think that's, that's, that's the main thing there really. And because, you know, when we actually, because we mentioned it before and you said there are positives, that there are, like there are definitely full positives to take and you can see Fulham competing, you know, the second half, most, most of that game was, was spent in Everton's half. They didn't, they didn't break out of it. And when they do play in those areas and they do take those risky passes, you want those errors and you want them, you want them to try and, and, and make something happen in, in those positions. But when you, when you're in your own half and you've got less numbers of your own men behind the, uh, behind the ball and it, uh, and you've got the opposition pressing onto you and then be much better at pressing and, and taking advantage of those opportunities as we saw on Sunday um, you're opening yourself up to to making bigger challenges of what are tough games so yeah it's just finding that balance really and I just don't think they've found it yet that's it for me it's balance and the idea of talking about positives in a way that we did a little bit in 18-19 because there were especially at the start you know we watched Fulham play I remember that Crystal Palace game the Burnley game uh, the Brighton game away and we were like we've dropped points here but you know these have been good performances they've been impressive we've we've done some of the right things there are positives to take and I'm I'm now wary of that because there are you know, elements of that, which which meant that by January, the, the game was up, if, you, if if in many ways, we weren't able to claw that back. And I think that there is a risk that if you talk about things in, in a purely positive light, when when the points aren't going your way, that there the things can go wrong quite drastically, and they can slip out of your control. Now, we talked about these four games, Everton, Leicester, City, Liverpool, um, and, and said that the chances of us getting no points out of them were there. Like, you know, quite quite, quite a possible, quite a genuine possibility that we'd get no points from these four games. And Peter, you and I talked extensively about the fact that performances had to be good, right? And I think the second half performance on uh, on Sunday was good. And we were, we were impressed by lots of things about Fulham, but that was also the best chance we had of getting points out of any of these four games. And we let it slip through individual error, through not being equipped, and through some, some quite frankly, ridiculous things that we did to ourselves and not tracking Luca Dean, the probably the best crosser of a ball in, you know, from left back in the league, perhaps aside from Andy Robertson, seems like one of those things that you look at and you go, yeah, we should probably have stopped that, you know, and and I don't want to lay, lay all the blame at Ole in his door. I, I don't want to say, oh, okay, it's all Ola's fault. But there are parts of that where he was sloppy in the possession, he didn't track his fullback, and he wasn't given major support by either Adamola Lookman or uh, or by Bobby Reed in the first half, and actually in the second half, it was it was Lookman going forward as much as anything that really did start to pin Dean back and and stop that supply line coming in. But I think we've got to realize those things faster. You know, that's 
that's naivety. And that is the kind of thing that when, when the same thing happens three times, it's not a coincidence. You know, fool me once, shame on me, fool you twice, shame on you. And, and when Luca Dean has the freedom of Craven Cottage to pick out that pass twice, then you've got to look at that and be like, that's not right. Now, Olaina is obviously the second choice right back behind Kenny Tete when he comes back in. But at the same time, you know, we, we don't know when that is going to be. And we have to deal with what's in front of us right now. And and ultimately, it's, it's on Scott and the team to be like, right, that wasn't good enough on the right-hand side. We need to address that issue because we're coming in now to, to, to a Leicester game where you'd imagine someone like Harvey Barnes is going to be playing on that right-hand side who's been a goal threat all season and has, has looked exceptional. Yeah, at times there. And and you look at that and go, yeah, we're going to have to deal with that. And Timothy Castagna is going to be playing behind him, or James Justin, to be honest. It doesn't really matter. Both of them can put a ball in. Both of them are, are goal threats, and both of them will be looking to exploit that right-hand side. And if we go about it in the same way that we've looked at the last couple of games, then we're going to get exploited there. And it's on the coach and the players to make sure that that doesn't happen. What would you do in that Leicester game to try and negate that threat that, that Leicester have on the on the on the left hand side or more to the point what can Fulham do to shore up the right hand side so that it doesn't become such a a weakness it it feels like um uh, uh, we've gone from having the left hand side of our defense being a problem to now the right in uh, in a matter of months yeah I mean look I wouldn't start immediately switching everything up and thinking oh this has to change for us to to really work but I mean of late Leicester have been playing with a back five right and the back five against Everton surprised us because and and reasonably so because Everton haven't done that before but in the other games where we've played against back fives we've matched up a little bit more and we we have kind of put in that shift to say that okay we've got a fullback covering and it might be that you know Joe Bryan and and Anthony Robinson play together to shift the back line over a little bit and Olaina plays a little bit more as a right wing back which relieves him a little of his defensive duty and also plays him man for man against a wing back which allows him to not have to worry about an overlapping player coming in through from deep and and I would imagine that there might be that element of it I imagine Lookman might play on the right and I think that Joe Bryan might play on the left in order to kind of play that weird system that that kind of shifts between a three at the back and a four at the back and it will line up as a four two three one the same but Joe Bryan is obviously a little bit more diligent and shifts back in to a back five a little bit easier so there is an you know elements of this that that can happen and I would imagine that you know Peter will tell you just as well but against Sheffield United against Wolves we played that system in order to negate their you know offensive threats down both sides and I wouldn't be wildly surprised to see that again this weekend I don't think it looks like a five at the back in the way that Fulham set up. I think it still looks like a 4-2-3-1 because that's worked. But I think it might be Joe Bryan that comes in a little bit further up to shift things around a little bit when we're out of possession. It's really interesting points you've made there about... um, I think it's just being smarter sometimes on the pitch. You know, you can be set up in a certain way and yeah, you can be caught out. And I think they were. I think there was a surprise element as as we talked about. But it's then being able to adjust to that and think, okay, this is a problem here. Luca Dean is getting the same amount of space every time. How do we adapt and and as you said Jack I think when Fulham have played a back five in the recent games before Everton so Sheffield United and Wolves it was out of possession that they were essentially a five with with Joe Bryan and then Ivan Cavallero at, at Sheffield United and they didn't really have that against Everton I think that's I, th- I find like with with with, with Olorena like it's come down his side all three times and there's definitely criticism to be leveled there but I guess it's also a system thing too um should Bobby Reed be further wide? Should he be the one tracking Luca Dean? But if he doesn't then tuck in and keep that solid 4-4 um, block, 
does that mean that James Rodriguez suddenly ends up with a load more space in those central areas? Um, and I think that's that's part of the the sort of the, the balance that Fulham will need, need to find. And it's it, you know with these things, it's easy to go you know right hand side is a problem, left hand side is a problem. It's generally a whole team thing. You know you're going to get one on one errors, but I think in those situations where it's happened a few times, it's, it looks like a more 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 of a system sort of issue. And I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of with Jack. I mean, if, Le- if Leicester do go with their five. I think it's worked when Fulham have played with with a five at the back out of possession. It'd be interesting to see maybe Joe Bryan come in, but also in the sense that Bryan is very good with his end product and his deliveries into the box, into Mitrovic, who I don't think has had that quality to work with so far. Um, Fulham are getting the balls into the box. And and to be fair, in recent games, it's definitely improved. Um, But it it hasn't been what it could be. And it hasn't been as effective as probably Fulham would need it to be to to get some more, some better results. and there's also the flip side, you know, even with the the second goal with Everton, um, the pass from James Rodriguez between Bobby Reed and Olerena is incredibly good. It's eye of the needle stuff. Like Bobby Reed's position, you could say, okay, he could be out further wide, but at the same time, he's blocking that space. You know, that's that's a correct position to be in. James Rodriguez has managed to get that ball through that gap. Um, and they've switched the play very, very quickly. So yeah, maybe Ayanlorain could get out quicker, but I mean, it's again that's that's high quality play. So th- there's definitely there's definitely a balance to it, um, and you know there are errors and there are things to learn from. And I think there was that system side to it, but coming into Leicester, you know, it's, it's learning from those and, and being able to react in games is also very important. That you say that, Peter, and and I completely agree with you. And and look, a player of James's quality is always going to find you know moments where where he kind of elevates above the kind of standard. But I also think that we've now got three other games where that person picking the pass might be James Madison or it might be Jeannie Wijnaldum yeah. or it might be Kevin De Bruyne. You know, these are players who are able to to break lines, who are able to break deep blocks. And we, I think we just need to be slightly more alert. It's not like suddenly we're going to go from, from that to it being, you know, someone a lot, lot worse picking the pass because there are players in all of these teams that, that are able to do that and are able to drop in and find those spaces. So it, it's not, so much I want to lay the blame at anybody's door. I just think that we've got to be smarter. And, and you can you can reverse that a little bit even. You know, yes, Aina should be tied to his man, but also Alex Awobi shouldn't be able to skip through three players to to completely loosen up that space on the edge of the box, right? Somebody's got to put a challenge yeah, in that, there. And, yeah. and so there are elements of, of all of this that, you know, if, if, if Awobi doesn't skip through three challenges, then Hamas hasn't got the time and space to pick that pass. And maybe the whole defense has shifted over a little bit in order to block the cross a bit more from, from Luca Dean. So it's not just that Ola Aina's door. It's just interesting that all three of those goals came from down his side. And I think that that is potentially something that you can't completely ignore. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point. I think that's what really sort of grated on Parker was that Iwobi run. You know, he, made, he talked about all the duels, but I think if you're going to take one example of what, really would have annoyed him was that ability to just go through three challenges that weren't really challenges to be honest he was able to just move into space and but that then goes back to my whole point that it's not just the right hand side you know it's a whole team thing you know everything has to function correctly against these against these types of players and as you say the quality is so high that any slight mistake any slight mishap is going to be going to be punished and then there's also the realism side to it too that you know, this is what's going to happen you know unless Fulham have got that quality and can show it then against these teams it's it's going to be tough and then you know but of course when you look back on those and it just seems so simple and those goals seem so easy to concede and just just reducing those those smaller margins might might make a difference 
Well, speaking of margins, um, we're going to take a little bit of a break. But after the break, uh, we're going to be speaking to Robin Jackson. Uh, he's a senior lecturer in sports psychology at Loughborough University. Peter did a piece on The Athletic, um, kind of talking about Fulham's penalty problem. Uh, it's a piece that Peter's had to rise twice because there's been so much about it. But we thought we'd get Robin on uh, to kind of look at Fulham's penalty problem and see where he thinks we can improve from his perspective. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. And we are also joined by Dr. Robin Jackson, senior lecturer in sports psychology at Loughborough University. Uh, His research is centered on performance under pressure and anticipation skill and deception. Uh, And he spoke to Peter earlier this week on a piece delving under the psychological bonnet of Fulham's penalty misses. Um, And we're delighted to have him on Fulhamish right now. Maybe delight is not the right word, Robin, because what I'd rather is that we just scored penalties and we didn't need to talk about this topic. But... It is great to have you on, obviously, uh, to, to kind of delve deeper into one of the myths around football that's been around for, for generations. And, and particularly uh, as an England fan, uh, we've known the pain of penalties for, for many, many years. That's kind of gone away in recent times, but Fulham has very much brought it back to the fore. Um, we've missed three penalties from three this season. So I guess first thing we want to ask you is, is what have you made of of Fulham's penalty problems? Um, Us fans know that it goes back a lot deeper than this season, but just based on the three penalties that Fulham have seen this season from, from your point of view, what have you, what have have you made of the problems that that we're having? It's difficult to come on on individual things like that, because they're, they're obviously, um, you know, the forefront and that, that's what you see. Um, and I've shared the pain with England, <laughs> the the England situation over many years, and uh, had like about a thirty minute rant on it for my lectures at, at some point. But hopefully that's that's looking a bit better. For those two kicks, it's it, just as an outsider looking in. If you're a sports psychologist, clearly you can't get inside somebody's head in those situations. So you can only go on what you actually see. Um, two main challenges to penalty kicks are being able to cope with the pressure and. Um, not be too anxious uh, and then secondly understanding all the demands in terms of you know anticipation deception disguise that sort of thing so that's sort of the time it takes to kick for the ball to cross the line essentially versus the keeper trying to save it um i, I don't know the things I, I noticed in well a couple of things really the um the the lookman penalty i mean that's a classic pressure situation so 98th minute i think it was um, one nil down, so it's 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 about as bad as it can get as as pressure goes. And so, selecting a Panenka type <laughs> effort in that situation is, shall we say, brave? But it seemed like they that as he approached the ball, he almost had some indecision about doing that, and then had some weird sort of movement just as he just as he made contact with the ball. So it wasn't quite a Panenka. He looked like he was trying to maybe fool the keeper, which would be a really odd thing to do with the Panenka. Didn't sell the Panenka well in terms of his run-up. I mean, so it wasn't, you know, for that, you kick the ball really slowly, right? So it takes a second to cross the line. You need to have a run-up that implies you're going to kick the thing really hard to make sure the keeper dives. Didn't really have that either. So it just seemed quite a uh, ill-thought-out effort. <laughs> and I think the the, the other one, the Cavallero one against Everton, was the thing that jumped out for me on that was just the angle of the approach, which was incredibly acute and the the most 
weird thing from my perspective was that the keeper actually dived the wrong way. <laughs> he telegraphed so early that he was going to go kick it to the right. And I know players will always say, well, I, I slipped. I wasn't that surprised. If you're going to slip, you know, you want a really acute angle and then try and straighten up at the last, in the last stride. And, and that, that's what he tried to do and clearly didn't work out. So, so there was certain bits and pieces in there that would jump out and say, doesn't look like they are absolutely certain what their strategy is. One of the, the concerns now, Robin, is the sort of atmosphere around penalties at, at Fulham because of, as Sammy mentioned, you know, there's a slight history of it and then the misses we've had this season. And it does give that sense for the next one of, oh God, w- what's next? Are we going to see the same thing again? And that pressure sort of ramps up even more. So what, what sort of impact yeah. will those misses have on the team as a whole when it comes to that next penalty? I think this is where the the, the squad and the uh, the management are absolutely key because you could just be like a rabbit in the headlights and go, oh, what are we going to do? Let's try somebody else. And each time, if you do that, then obviously the pressure on that person for the first kick is enormous. And what happens if that misses? Well, do we go to somebody else? You know, it becomes, you just start chasing your tail. So you need to have a proper strategic approach to what you're, you know, to, it's a skill part of the game. I mean, I think you calculate that maybe Fulham have lost approximately five points already through missed penalties. So to not address it as a really key part of the game would be inexcusable. Um, and that means a strategic approach. And, and so you need to understand the science behind it. You need to make sure you have a clear strategy and you need to back those people to develop their skills. The moment you view it as a skill-based task, which it absolutely is, it's not a cost of a toss of a coin or a lottery like England managers for many years suggested it was. Um, you know, when you view it as a skill-based task, you educate yourself. The coaches are on board. There's 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 nothing to fear. You know, the fear drops away. You can't guarantee success because roughly a quarter of penalties are saved, but you can guarantee pretty much execution. And if you do that and the keeper saves it and you've honestly gone through all the steps and you've disguised your intentions, because that's another classic where you say, oh, the keeper just guessed the right way. Well, if you telegraph your intentions like that acute run up, the goalkeeper should dive the right way and then there's a chance it's going to be saved. Um, so, that, so that's it really, a strategic approach where you make sure you've, you've done everything you can to execute well. And then if it misses, nobody cast you out and says who's next you know it's it's just like okay this is part of the process we will get better was it the michael jordan's quote on on misses and failure i think he's missed sort of 26 times he's he's stepped up to take the game winning free throw and he's missed you know so one of the greatest basketball players of all time they miss in key situations but you learn from it um neil jenkins yonks ago before your time, I'm sure, one of the best goal kickers in the world for, uh, for, for Wales, still number three on the list, had an absolute shocker in, uh, early in his career against um, Ireland. And he got to the point where he was dreading that the referee awarded a penalty because he'd missed so many. You know, the, it's, it's difficult to cope in these pressure situations, but you develop the skills to do so. I think that there's something to be said about this season in particular, and well, obviously our first season back in the Premier League with VAR, and and this kind of yeah, ghost yeah. of ghost of penalties past uh, rearing its ugly head again for Fulham. But I, I'm interested in, in kind of what you just said there, Robin, because 
there was there was a point where you know Alexander Mitrovic missed for Serbia against Scotland and, and something that was kind of well documented but it was actually a reasonably good penalty it was a very very good save and and it's kind of drawn into the myth now of, of what this is and there's a part of me that thinks okay that was a very decent effort the one against Sheffield United was a poorer effort agreed but but ultimately he's returned from that with a quite you know, quite decent penalty that has been saved well. And for him then not to step up for the next one was was a worry for me because it was a bit like, oh, okay, there's there's a kind of a systemic change in that it's not Alexander Mitrovic's to lose anymore. And, you know, the Lookman one, Scott Parker explained as being, he was a little bit, he was feeling his hamstring, he was a little bit injured and, and Lookman was kind of the backup taker and that's kind of fine. But for them, him not to take the penalty against against Everton at the weekend was worrying for me because that suggests that he's been taken off duty and, and that's a concern. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. You don't judge a penalty kick by its outcome. You judge it by the performance, you know, the execution, if you like. And before that, there's the process that goes into that. So that's how you evaluate kicks, not whether or not they, they, they end up in the back of the net. I know that's what we ultimately do. That's where our emotions are around whether or not they end up in the back of the net. Um, but there are examples like Jordan Henderson in, in the World Cup, you know, the one that missed for England. Um, you know, at least a stride and a half out, you can see exactly where he's going to put it. But after the event, he's 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 saying, um, you know, the keeper guessed the right way. I executed it well. And he did in terms of technically hit it towards where he wanted to hit it. But he did tell the goalkeeper two strides out which way he was going effectively. Um, so that's that's the sort of second key part of it, you know, being able to disguise your intentions, not effectively tell the goalkeeper with a traffic light signal which way you're going to go. Um, so Mitrovic, don't know. I, I think he's generally pretty good. So um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't good at disguising his intentions. So how can Scott Parker and the Fulham team kind of lessen the psychological impact of these missed penalties? I imagine on Monday they'd have all sat in a room in, with a big screen in front of them and analysed the game. As a as a coach, as a head coach, what can you say? What can you do to what is clearly becoming quite a scarred group of of players to 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 tell them like to improve things in the future? Basically, you, I guess you've got to be very careful over what you say and how you say it in these moments, haven't you? What you want to portray is that you have a strategy to deal with the situation, and and that you're not just sort of head in the sand and and hoping things will get better, but you you, you acknowledge where things haven't been executed well and then you you just simply go looking for why that's the case you know is it to do with the individual player is it to do with you know your, your whole coaching setup and how you actually approach this you know how, how much how many times are they well what first of all what's the level of knowledge secondly um what practice opportunities are there for each individual player to develop a strategy and, and to execute it under pressure. Um, those are the two main things, really. And, and I think as coaches, all you do is say, right, this is the issue, this is how we're addressing it, and, um, and go forward from there. And you'd hope to identify three or four players who want to develop that skill or perhaps have already been takers but haven't had such great success. And, but it, it, like any skill... You want to develop it and, and the coaching staff are there just to facilitate that. And then the last thing, as I say, is you, you just, to, if you're a coach and telling the team what you're doing, you're saying, and, you know, that the success of what we're doing will be, will be evaluated, let's say, by the performance analysis team based on, um, you know, performances and execution 
not just outcome. We can't guarantee that a penalty kick will be scored. I mean, that's your starting position almost, is to acknowledge penalties will be missed. You can't control all of that, but you can control your ability to execute well. Just finally, um, just Robin, on reducing that 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 pressure and you talked about strategies there what is it just the main routine that's so important and actually isolating that for the penalty taker and knowing exactly what they're going to have especially when you come into these these pressurized situations which seem to, to mount every time um yeah so so it's a, a lot about the retru- um, the routine it's if, if you want to put it in one simple thing it's the extent to which you feel in control of that situation so anything you can do to help feel like you're in control helps. Pressure situations, by their definition, you feel a bit out of control. They're not that common to have a 98th minute penalty. So it's so it's quite tricky. But that feeling of being in control comes from, well, a couple of things. The extent to which you view the penalty kick as a skill. And then secondly, your perceived competence, how, how competent you think you are. Well, loads of stuff feeds into that bit. <laughs> and if you haven't practiced, you don't know about the science of it, you don't know your particular strategy, you're unsure about that. Well, that's, you know, that's going to undermine that, um, that, those feelings of control. And what the research shows is everybody will feel anxious in those situations. But the way you interpret that anxiety, whether or not whether you feel it's like really bad news for performance or you feel like you know, you're up for it and actually excited about taking it, is large, largely to do with you feeling in control of that situation. It's not going to stop you feeling nervous, but you can execute better and feel in control. And the anxiety part of it is it's a relatively straightforward thing in that respect. Simply knowing whether you're trying to respond to what the goalkeeper does or not is an obvious question. And sometimes you look at penalty taking and you're not sure whether they, which they're trying to do. You know, are you going to effectively ignore the goalkeeper and hit it towards a spot with pace? Or are you going to try and read which way the goalkeeper's going and then go the other way? That's that's a fundamental decision in terms of your strategy. Reading the keeper and trying to go the other way is quite tough. If you're a novice penalty taker or relatively unskilled, that's quite a tough thing to do. But the greatest of all time, probably Matt Letizia, arguably, he had that strategy. You know, he'd telegraph his intentions to go to the right every time. And if the keeper started going there a bit early, he could he had the ability to, at the very last moment, kick it in the other direction. Pretty unique. <laughs> you wouldn't recommend using a Matisse strategy for a novice penalty taker. Well, I mean, at the moment, I will just settle for bang it down the middle. And uh, that, that's probably <laughs> the strategy that I would suggest at the moment. But as you say, Robin, it's all about strategy, isn't it? And, that, and that's what Fulham fundamentally need to go away and do. And I uh, really find that so fascinating about how we've been drilled into us over the years about how it's luck and how it's a lottery and all of these words and actually you know when you break it down fundamentally it's a skill you have good penalty takers and bad penalty takers and and you just need to um, work out the best way to do it well well Robin thank you so much uh, for for chatting to Fulmish uh, and giving us your insight and and fingers crossed somehow your words extend to the people that need to hear them the most and uh, we can start bagging in a few penalties <laughs> Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I'm sure you, you, you'll go very well. And uh, just don't bang them in if you ever get to play against Nottingham Forest because uh, yeah, I'll still dress. <laughs> well, uh, enjoy Anthony Knockart. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. No, thanks very much for inviting me on. Appreciate it. 
Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Right, let's cross over to Dom Betts, uh, who spoke to Leicester fan Lee Chappie uh, to get an opposition view on everything going on at the KP Stadium. Uh, and he started off by asking Lee how the season's going so far. It's all about progress and we are progressing as a club. I'm sure you've seen some bits and bobs on the uh, social media recently regarding the expansion to the ground and a new training facility that's underway at Leicester. Um, you know, it's it's, in a, it's an inspiring club. They're very ambitious. Uh, the owners are, are, are I'd say, best in world football, personally. I think they care so much about the club, so much about the fans and local as well. So right now, we're just flying. We're flying. Do you think, obviously, you know, when you guys won the league in 2016, but do you think what Leicester City have done and what your owners have done is sort of the blueprint for any aspiring promoted clubs? Yeah, 100%. And we've also created that desire for smaller clubs out of side of the big six to do well and, and, and you know, challenge. You know, it, it was a remarkable thing that happened and uh, I'm sure it's kept you all dreaming. Yeah, because it's not, it's not like, Wolves, where you got an, a super agent like George Mendes involved, getting all these Portuguese players across. You know, your owners have invested not in just the club, but as you mentioned, the community. And it's it's great to see really, really a, a promoted team come up and not spend a hundred million in a transfer window like we did two years ago and what Villa did last season, but slowly build their way up. And now, you know, you you guys are big challenges for the top six. And is that with you looking at your aim for the season, just to get with get in the top six again and then maybe yep. maybe in this season try getting the top four? I think top four is probably the uh, the ultimate aim, uh, I believe, um, for Brennan Rogers. to be honest with you. Um, we've had a good transfer window, you know. We've brought in Wesley Fofana, who's been brilliant so far. Um, didn't have the best of games, to be fair, against Liverpool. But overall, since he's come in, he's been phenomenal. Don't forget, he's only 19 years old as well. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of setbacks as well. Don't forget, we've had a lot of injuries as, as well with the world-class right-back, uh, Ricardo Pereira. He's been out for seven months and uh, has just returned to football Monday night just gone on a under 20 freeze game so his fitness is you know starting to really come into play now so he should be back soon in the uh, in the full senior squad so I can't wait to see him back because he's a he's a worldie so what have you sort of made your results so far? Obviously, there was that great result uh, away at Manchester City, but you've had some strange results at home. Obviously, you lost to Liverpool most recently. What have you made of sort of your results so far? Yeah, um, we we got battered by West Ham as well. I watched that the full 90. I watched us get pulverised in every position. Um, we do seem to struggle against uh, sides that seem to cancel out Jamie Vardy, cancel out those those wings and that's it. We have nothing. We don't seem to have anything else. There's no, I don't know if, I don't know what we're going to do regarding the whole Jamie Vardy situation because once he's done, he's 33 going on 34. Once he's done, what's, what's next for Leicester? You know, the whole, the whole team centered around Jamie Vardy, the whole attack, like everything works around Jamie Vardy's pace, uh, off the shoulder, his runs down the, off the channels, down the wings, you name it. It's all based around Vardy. Without him, it's like, you're taking the, the you know a rifle out of the uh, the Marines. You know it's just I don't know. Do you think that's Jamie Vardy is one of the probably one of the reasons why you think you've been performing better away from home than you have been at home? Just because often you're going to be playing more on a counter attack than you are having to dominate possession. I think so. Yeah, you know you only got to look at the Man City game, and we only had I think we had around thirty something percent possession, and yet we scored five goals. 
So you, yeah, it you, it already. and with with the way that you spoke about Brendan Rodgers there, do you think that he's sort of do you think he's stubborn sometimes in his ways? He doesn't maybe try yes. to find plan B or plan C to open up maybe the, the, the low block opposition. Yeah, he does. He does sometimes pick some random. Uh, random starters like against Liverpool when we got beat 3-0 at the weekend I don't know why he didn't start Dennis Pratt because Dennis Pratt's been working really well with Yuri Tillemans the two Belgians in the middle granted we didn't have the third Belgium on the pitch uh, Timothy Castagna because he's been injured pulled a hamstring uh, but he should be back for the Fulham game um, give or take but uh, he's not in my predicted lineup because I still think he might just about miss it but uh it's a bit weird. I don't pick Dennis Pratt against Liverpool. I thought Dennis Pratt was the one to start and he goes with Harvey Barnes down the left and it weren't the right idea for me. And if if, so, if we look at this season and your sort of your indifferent home form, I guess we can put it that way. What again, what do you what do you, what do you put that down to? What do you think is the reason behind that you just can't seem to be getting the wins that you really should be getting against teams like Villa, against teams like Southampton, against teams like West Ham uh, at Leicester? Ultimately, the way that Leicester play is based off of Jamie Vardy and uh, and counter-attacking works best for him. So when you've got less possession, that's how you play. So Leicester seem to do play better against the bigger sides than they do with their sides similar to themselves. And I've said that for quite, quite a while now, to be fair, and nothing seems to be changing. And so what, what, do you, what would you like to see Brendan Rodgers sort of adapt then to decide? If we're looking at this Fulham game, obviously we're not... I'm not saying we're a team who's going to completely sit back again and try, and you're going to have 77 positions. Well, that's how you should. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what the blueprint used to be. But for for teams who are doing that, what do you what would you like to see Brendan Rodgers do different again? These teams. We need, i tell you what we need. We need a workhorse up top. Um, we need Jamie Vardy's Shinji Okazaki. We need an engine that will press hard and not only press hard, but also can hold the ball up really well. That's what we need up top. And we need someone that can also get up as well. We've got no one in the air. We haven't got any threat in the air whatsoever. The only man I can think of that in the squad would be Islam Slamani. But he's not. It's just not trusted enough for me. Um, I don't think he's going to get uh, a look in, to be honest with you. I think he's, he's, his days are numbered. We need an aerial threat. We need a big man up top. Someone. I, I like the strength of Antonio for West Ham. We need someone like that. I think Brendan needs to bring in someone with strength that can hold the ball up. And if, if we're going ahead to look ahead to obviously Monday's game uh, against Fulham, we've had a, a a fairly poor start to the season, but I mean, we've unlike two scenes ago, we have been in games. You know, you look at the mm. uh, the loss to Wolves; that was very unlucky. It was by the one goal. The West Ham was a loss by one goal. You know, Palace we lost we lost we lost two one against you know Everton. We lost three two. So we we have been in game. So it's not like yeah. the two, two years ago where we were complete walkover. And I think our game up at Leicester. I think you guys yeah. beat us three one. You're um, battling, aren't you? You're battling. Yeah, yeah. Is, 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 is that is that is that what worries? Does that have? Does that cause you any worries ahead of Monday's game? Yeah, certainly. You know, with a especially because you, you're what you got. You got four points, haven't you? So it's a you're fighting already to to stay up, and and it's it's horrible to be down there. We were there. We've been there. You know, fourteen, fifteen season. We were down there, right down the bottom for quite a long while, and then we had a, a mad run at the end. Um, no one wants to be at the bottom. You fight for your lives, and you guys. I'm pretty sure you're gonna put up a one hell of a fight as well. I'm sure you will. I think I recommend you guys to sit back and hold tight and, and get us when we're, we're not expecting it. That's, that's my, 
advice to you boys, I think. Yeah, so if, if, you, if you are looking at this Fulham team, what aspects of it do you think worries you most or what aspects of it do you think could cause less than the most harm? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at your uh, your previous fish now who who started um on the Everton game uh because was it Loftus Cheek has, has gone there, isn't he? So Yeah, Loftus Cheek, Cheek Mitrovic, Langisa obviously all yeah, came I mean, on some, as substitutes. They, I mean that's a, some good that's some good players right there. It's not like you've not got a, a, a you've not got a rubbish team. You've got players that can play. You know, um, is it Mitrovic as well? Is he, is he still main scorer? Yeah, he's, 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 he's the main striker. He just had a tough international break. That's the reason why he's come off the bench. It's been the only Premier League game this season which he hasn't started. If you're looking at your defence, how do you think Mitrovic would be able to cause your defence the most issues? He's not got the most, he's not the fastest of players. Um, and But then again, we've not got the fastest centre-backs at the minute with uh, Johnny Evans, whose legs are going, Christian Fuchs, it's potentially legs are going. You can have a look at the lineup if you want. Um, I'll put it up on screen for you. Uh, this is a rough idea of what you're going to be facing. There you go. I mean, that's the, that's the side that played Liverpool um, with what we've got fit. Uh, I can imagine Christian Fuchs will probably will be replaced with a Castagna, to be honest, because Castagna is should be fit, should be fit by the weekend. I mean, it's Monday night fi uh, fixture at half five, isn't it? So give or take, he should be playing. But if he isn't, look at the back line. Fuchs, legs are gone. Evans, ageing. You've only got Wesley Fofana that's really got anything about him at the back within speed-wise. Michael Brighton and James Justin playing as wing-backs, it, uh, for me, it's just it didn't work for against Liverpool. And I don't think, truly, I don't think it will work with, against you boys either. I, I just don't like this, this free at the back with wing-backs. I don't like it, but that's how Rodgers have had to play because of the injuries we've got. It's as simple as that. I'm expecting Mendy to be holding role because Ndidi is still out with a, uh, a muscle tear. Um, and so Suntru as well. The set, they both had the same injury, by the way. Um, Ndidi's had surgery, Suntru hasn't. Uh, Yuri Tillemans will probably be working alongside Madison, and he probably will play Harvey Barnes on the left to, to, to support Vardy with some speed going up against your, your back line. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at the team, obviously you spoke about your defence, and so I, you would you I, I'm looking at right here from a Fulham fan. Says so I'm looking the likes of Adam Lutman playing off Mitrovic on the second balls to sort of get getting in behind your defence because the, the the way you're saying it is you think if Fulham can get sort of uh, pace out one, get them sort of maybe cut inside and get in behind your uh, back three, that would be the best yeah. way to sort of exploit I, your I think weaknesses. So too. Yeah, that's exactly what Mane uh, and uh, Robertson did on that left side. Um, they they kept switching the ball over to the side, making defenders go the opposite side of the pitch and then switching it back. And then you'd see Robertson and Mane just almost one-twos one right through and ball comes in the box over and over and over for 90 minutes. So that's what you want to do is attack that. Either side, really, at the minute, I, I just feel that that's our weakest at the minute is the left and right sides with Marco Brighton and Justin playing as wing-backs. They're out of position. And the way, the way Fulham have been playing this season a lot of the time we've been been conceding very early goals that was proved once again against Everton conceding after just 40 seconds to Calvert-Lewin is that something Leicester have done this season have you got out of the blocks early and quickly uh we've got I think we've managed to you know get up there nice and I think we've got some early goals but to be honest with you I I think Leicester's most they mainly score in the last 15 minutes. I think we're still top of that chart of the last 15 minutes in the game. Leicester, I'm sure, are still top. 
of the amount of goals that they scored. Uh, but Leicester's goals at the minute from open play isn't great. That's the that's the worrying sign. It's all from penalties at the minute. Granted, you've got to earn the penalties. You have to earn them. And that's because Brendan Rodgers has brought in this fast play across the floor. You know, and Vardy's being fouled or Harvey Barnes is being fouled. James Madison brings in a lot of fouls as well. I think James Madison and Grealish are, are both do that very well, bringing in the fouls uh, and giving you some nice set pieces or potential penalties. So I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking maybe that's what's going to happen again. I think maybe we'll earn some, a couple of penalties against you boys with the speed that we've got with Harvey Barnes and Vardy. Yeah, maybe, maybe you can show us how to take a few penalties, considering <laughs> we, we, we don't know how to put them in the back of a net at the moment. Um, so for one last question, I can put you for a score prediction for Monday's game. What are you going to go with? I think it's going to be a draw, actually. Uh, I feel that you're going you're gonna to get a point, um, a deserved point. I feel... I feel I don't feel as confident going into this game as I did going into Liverpool, believe it or not. Um, going into Liverpool, I was really confident because they had a lot of injuries going on themselves. And we was on a six-match winning streak. That's including Europa, obviously. Um, now, I feel like our momentum's going to dip. Uh, after what Liverpool did to us previously, Boxing Day, uh, we dipped then. Uh, and I feel like that's going to be the case again. I feel like we're going to go on a little bit of a downward spiral for a little bit. But I don't think we'll lose. I think it's going to be a tight game. I'm going to go with a 2-2. Well, thank you very much to Dom and Lee for giving us that opposition preview. And uh, you can watch the full video. That's just very much a slimmed down version. You can watch the full thing over on the Fulhamish YouTube channel right now. Just go to YouTube, type in Fulhamish, and it should be pretty much the first video that comes up. Right, gents. Big game on Monday. I say big. We're kind of in this weird three-game free hit for Fulham, aren't we? Where... No one's expecting us to get any points out of it. What's the minimum expectation, really? Peter, I'll, I'll start with you because it's, it's, a, it's a tricky time of year for us. But Fulham, I guess, just need to go out and, and show some fight, I guess. Is that the most we can hope for? Yeah, I think the, the, the best hope is that we, we don't see a Fulham side that go out and get turned over. I don't think we will see that. You know, I think the, the, the fact that they did respond when 3-1 down on, on Sunday is really, really encouraging, especially at this point. Um, they'll need more of that. They'll need more of that mentality coming into these games because it's not going to be easy. And I think when we look at it in terms of points, I think we can't really look at it that way. And um, it's just what we, what we see from the team and the signs that they're they're still pulling in that right direction. I, I disagree. Nine points minimum. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think is the expectation. No. Um, yeah, I'm with Peter. Obviously, that point. Like, I think we do need to start. You know, I hate the term free hit now. We spent so much of that last campaign in the Premier League saying, oh, this one's a free hit. This one's a free hit. Um, and I think that it put us in a bad place in terms of not necessarily those games, but I think that it put us in a bad place in in where we were looking at things from and where we were coming at things from. I, I think you have to think that Fulham are going to go out in this game and go, Leicester on a bit of a weird run. There are some injury issues. yes. Um, I, I think, you know, they'll have played on Thursday night. We haven't recorded this yet, but they play Braga tonight in the, in the Europa League, obviously. And, you know, they're, they're going to be, they're in a bit of a, a period where they're playing a lot of football, you know, and, and we're going to have to try and take advantage of that as one of the sides lower down the league who don't have much else to worry about aside from our league, you know, our league form and our league games. You want to try and take advantage of the fact that these sides are playing week in, week out and try and, you know, not 
not let them be in charge of the game at 60 minutes. You know, if they're having to kill themselves with exertion at 80 minutes, 85 minutes when they've played midweek and the weekend before, then suddenly it might be a little bit easier to get joy out of these games. And Fulham need to cut out the silly mistakes. I'm not saying we're going to go and turn Leicester over. I don't think that that's, you know, even the most re- uh, optimistic Fulham fan would be like, yeah, I think we're you know guaranteed three points from this one. But I do think that there are opportunities here where you have to go, okay, we've been playing better. We have showed a little bit more consistency. We've got enough about us up front to score goals. If we go and cause teams problems and keep things tight, until a period where they might be a little bit more tired than us because of their fixture congestion, then that's something we might be able to take advantage of. And I think Fulham need to to sit into that mindset and be like, right, let's have them at 80 minutes where this could go either way and, and try and take advantage of the schedule. Well, fingers crossed that we can, Jack. And it's a good point with those European games because I also forgot that uh, Man City and Liverpool, who we face, will all have European matches before we face them. Um, They may be qualified for their respective uh, knockout stages by that point, but it's still something that hopefully Fulham can take a little bit of advantage of. And uh, it's all about small wins at this uh, this level, isn't it? And then fingers crossed you're right on that one, Jack. Okay, well, Fulhamish will be back uh, Monday evening, probably Tuesday morning by the time it's out. Jack is going to be hosting the pod. Uh, looking back at that Leicester game uh, and then of course uh, myself Jack and Peter will return at a similar time next week so Peter have a good week uh, and enjoy the match on Monday thanks Sammy yes you too and likewise to you Jack thank you very much and happy Thanksgiving to all of our friends across the pond uh, for yesterday by the time this is released and uh R.I.P. Diego Maradona. Sad day for football um, yesterday, but yeah, I echo very much Jack's sentiments um, on, on Thanksgiving. And also, while we're while we're here, thank you to all the Americans that got in touch to let us know which puddings they had heard of and hadn't heard of on Monday's podcast. If you haven't listened to Monday's podcast, that sounds absolutely bonkers. But if you have, that will make sense. Uh, have a good weekend. Come on, you wise. You wise.